Hi, what up? I go by the name T.Y. And welcome to another episode of Clap Bant and Rant. And uh, yeah, of course, the English football weekend just got concluded. Uh, we have Manchester City sitting pretty at the top of the log as it stands. And yes, uh, Tottenham Hotspur uh, failed to uh, use the opportunity that they had against Chelsea uh, yesterday to uh, um, go back to the top of the log. But uh, we'll come back and talk about all the fascinating uh, moments in that game. And I assure you, I tell you indeed, there was a lot of talking points and uh, of course first and foremost to kickstart the show of course the reason why we are here manchester united drum roll yeah that's what's up and if anybody tell you why would they celebrate win eh, against fulham side ask them where they are three points for this weekend day because i tell you this weekend was uh, there's no word really to uh explain how bad this weekend was as regards uh teams taking points uh, in fact coming into that this weekend uh i saw a scenario where you know um everybody assumed that all the big teams would take a uh, maximum point because of course they were playing against relatively uh, small sides take for instance a uh, liverpool who went on to draw eventually away at luton i mean it, it just goes to show you it just goes to explain why uh, i feel like at this point you have every reason to celebrate every single point that you win uh, so to kick start the show uh, the first game for uh, this game week was of course uh fulham uh, home to Manchester United. Coming into that game, the statistics as regards head-to-head and, uh, you know, order and order favors Manchester United because uh, Fulham have not won a game against Man U for at least six years. But, you know, regarding the form, current form that Manchester United cur- currently play with, uh, to be honest, anything was possible in that game and you know the way the game started really well especially for manchester united uh we started really well uh we enforced play and then all the boxes that we've been complaining about i feel like we ticked those boxes early into that game and we got a goal uh by mark tomine max tomine i beg your pardon yeah you know we got a goal by max tomine in the eighth minute and it was disallowed by what guess what guys a subjective offside and I don't want to talk, make it come be like, say, you know, we'll just come on the, the show and we repeat the same things. But it is glaring as the that there's an agenda against Manchester United. And for you, anyone really believe him, now you just be naive. Because, I mean, I was watching the game and initially when Vardy checked the goal, I felt like they were checking for Ganacho. You know, because he was the only one that could possibly have been offside. And then when I saw that he was on, I was screaming behind my TV that Ganacho they on, Ganacho they on. Only for me to see them say they don't disallow goal by subjective offside. Bro, I don't they watch Premier League at least when I begin the conscious of waiting I did do. I've been watching the Premier League since 2003. And in my whole career as a football fan, I have never heard of anything like a subjective offside now if you don't know what subjective offside is you are not alone because i don't know too now just for that much why i managed to understand what they mean by a subjective offside they said maguire went for the ball saying contest for the ball and that's because he no reach the ball he hinder fulham defender from interceding maybe the subjective uh offside and these things you know these things continue to be an issue uh later on into the show we'll talk about uh the tottenham game that had so many crazy var moments there's also the arsenal match that had several controversial uh talking points and it just goes to say that 
in all, really, the Premier League officiating eh, get some work to do as it stands. But yes, that game as it is, uh, knowing how much Manchester United require points for confidence and for position up, for, uh, up the table, it was really sad to see that that kind of goal was disallowed like that. And then, you see what we talk about, the influence and the effect of um, referees. Imagine, if not for my Bruno Magnifico Fernandez at the death of the second half, probably will be going back home uh, with just a point. And, and it's really, really crazy. Uh, but moving on into that game, yes, we settled really well, started really well. Uh, it was good to see that the coach finally took some uh, initiative and rested, or let me say, in quote, bench some players, even though... Uh, we know say they come out. Of course, we don't expect coaches to come and put their players under the bus, uh, which is why we were surprised when it happened with uh, Sancho's case. Uh, Eric Ten Hag don't come out to say uh, uh, Marcus Rash for the injured. And it's crazy because, of course, we already follow the club closely. We know what really happened. And yeah, if you didn't know, uh, Marcus Rashford partied after the uh, Manchester City debut loss, uh, which was not a good sight at all. For whatever reason, we're in Duam. I don't know. I know his birthday was around that time, but still, I felt like you can be at least a, a little discreet if you want to do those kind of things. You don't go and party after a Manchester Derby loss, you know, a 3-0 heavy loss at home. And uh, for that reason, I felt like that was why, you know, Rashford didn't start that game. And uh, pretty much almost didn't, didn't even play the whole game per se. Uh, and I felt like it was a disciplinary measure. But yes, we went on to win that game by one go to nil. Yeah, kept a clean sheet away at home. And I tell you guys, me, I'll take it. I'll take it because, you know, it gives us um, some sort of momentum moving forward. And hopefully, uh, we can start to get results and uh, establish our place on the table. This weekend, guys, I tell you, that three points where we win, eh? To me, it'd be like, say, Whiskey win second Grammy. Because truly, guy, we needed that win. And it was really fascinating because the bulk of other Premier League teams could not take advantage of their own game. And so we've closed up the log on the table, which is a good thing for us. Uh, we'll come back and touch on that before we uh, end the show. But moving on, on to other games as well for that day. Uh, Brentford went on to win West Ham by three goals to two. Uh, when it concerns Brentford and West Ham, their game, over and over, it constantly is it's usually a very open game. You know, I don't even mind the last time that West Ham and Brentford's game ended in the draw. Somebody always has the upper hand and wins the game. And sadly, in the last couple of recent years, Brentford have held it down, especially against West Ham. West Ham have a terrible result away from home this season. And even moving into uh, the later part of last season, and so far, they still have not found a way to make it work for them away from home. They went on to lose by three goals to two by a very resilient uh, Brentford side. Uh, Neil Mopé got the first opening goal very early into that game, just about 10 minutes into the um, start of the game. And for a moment, it felt like you know uh, West Ham were going to uh, get their equaliser, and they eventually did by uh, Mohamed Kudus. And which I'm going to say this, Mohamed Kudus has, has scored two of the most fascinating goals that I have seen this season in consecutive matches. I feel like Thomas Susek's space in that starting eleven is officially gone. I don't see a scenario where Kudus will not start games. And yes, uh, just uh, later on in the first half, Jared Bowen went on to score and they took the lead. Uh, a heavy deflection. Uh, he's but yeah, he was uh, awarded to Jared Bowen. 
And then, you know, it, it went on like that for the later part of the second half until Mavros Panos. If you know Mavros Panos, that's the uh, Arsenal Greek defender that was sold uh, a while ago to one of this, uh, I think the French side, if I'm correct. Yeah, And then he, uh, he was bought back in this uh, market by West Ham to help beef up the defence. And it was sad to see that he went on to score an own goal in that game, uh, you know, that put uh, Brentford back into uh the fight if give brain for the fighting chance sort of and then later on as well uh just about 20 minutes into after that first goal collins got the winner and uh, in the 78 minute from that point on west ham could not really recover and they went on to lose by three goals to two as i've said um, earlier before and uh really really big important win put them up there uh put them in the top half of the table and they continue to do really well under thomas frank uh, Burnley continue with the terrific, terrible, terrible start into the season. Uh, as I speak with you, Burnley currently have eight losses in their last nine Premier League game. And you know, moving on, um, just to uh, on a lighter note, uh, you know, over time, especially when um, you know, early into Ten Hag's season where he was struggling. I get a lot of publications. I saw, I see a lot of posts by uh, football Twitter accounts, especially you know rivals and banter accounts, and they always speak about how uh, you know Sir Alex Ferguson's students in quotes are not as good as Pep students. You know, especially when you consider how uh, the players that have played under Sir Alex Ferguson have struggled uh, in their managerial roles. Uh, especially, I know that. Particularly the person where did they give these shots now. Of course, Gary Neville where struggle as a coach. Uh, if you remember Gary Neville well, well, he struggled as a coach and they sack him just three games into a managerial season after he lost seven new to Villarreal. And you know, over a period of time, we've had a lot of other players who played under Salix Ferguson have gone into managerial roles. There's Rooney, uh, there's Michael Carrick, of course, and. You know, you can't say exactly that they've been doing as well as you'd imagine uh, compared to Pep students who, uh, for instance, uh, even though Xavi Alonso not be really in student per se, but of course, they don't attach him to Pep. Uh, and then we have, of course, uh, Ateta, which uh, who's doing really well with Arsenal. And so, you know, and then of course, last season, we saw how uh, Burnley went on to blow past teams in the Champions League won the champion uh, beg your pardon in the championship went on to win by a wide margin in fact i think if i remember correctly they won that league with like four or five games to spare and you know they were doing really well and uh, coming into the premier league i i felt like you know they had a fighting chance not exactly i didn't think they were going to come and just you know blow teams away but i felt like you know with the way that they play that they stand a fighting chance which reminds me I always wondered what the difference was, you know, between uh, the, the Burnley that we saw in the championship. And I found out that one of the most, one of the top scorers for them last season uh, in the person of uh, Nathan Teller was sold. I don't know why. That guy is a young guy. He's, he's a born goal scorer, scored over 20 goals for Burnley last season. I don't know why they would sell him. I mean, I know they brought in like Foster, but of course, you want a scenario where you have uh, players who can uh, come in, you know, when first-team players are not available and still take and still get some, put something, put uh, put in a shift for the team. You need to have your squad depth. You know, you would always going to need it because, of course, if you're in the Premier League, you can be sure that you would start your season with at least three other domestic cups. So you need all your players available. 
which is why I don't really understand why they let that deal pull through. And you can imagine, tell as I speak with you, he's currently scoring and banging goals week in, week out for his new club. But yes, uh, Vincent Company's team have really struggled to establish themselves in the Premier League. And to be honest, from where they sit at this point, I don't see a scenario where they can, you know, uh, escape relegation. But of course, uh, it's too quick to call. Uh, we'll continue to see how that... Uh, you know, goals. But yes, Crystal Palace went on to win by two goals to uh, Neil, uh, a goal from Jeffrey Schlopp. And of course, uh, Mitchell went on to win that game. And yes, they continue uh, to have uh, a flying start into the season. And uh, yeah, Crystal Palace have one of the best uh, defense in the league as it stands. And uh, it was good to see them get another clean sheet, especially because uh, in the last you know, two to three games, they have really, really struggled. They played really top side and they lost those games. And it's good to see that, see them bouncing back to winning ways uh, under Roy Hodgson. Uh, Everton, really, I don't know what's in Sean Dyche, don't go chop. I don't know where in carry in form from, but Everton have been playing really, really good football, especially since Dominic Calvert-Lewin returned from injury. Yeah, I, I'm I'm telling you, like, if you don't know, Everton have gone on to win one, two, three, four, five wins in the last eight Premier League matches. Five wins. That's 15 whole points in the last eight Premier League games. And it just continues to, uh, you know, give them momentum. Uh, in the game against Brentford, usually, you know, when you regard where Brentford are as regards uh, quality of players, style of play, uh, you know, quality of their manager, and you compare them to an Everton side, of course, who also still have an experienced manager in the person of Sean Dyche. But when it concerns, you know, transfers and uh, behind the scenes movement and all the kind of things that make a club work, I feel like Brentford are, uh, I beg your pardon, I feel like Brighton are way 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 uh in a better position than everton and so you know coming into that game i felt like especially because brighton have struggled to get points lately i felt like the game against everton would have been a really good game for them to bounce back with an emphatic win but you know like i said everton continue to strive under their current form and they went on to get the first goal very early into that game Mikoyenko got a goal in the seventh minute of that game and Brentford could not really recover until really, really late in the 80th minute when Ashley Young got, um, you know, scored an own goal from a Mitoma shot. And, uh, you know, that game went on to end by a 1-1 stalemate. Uh, a really important win, especially, really important point, especially for Everton as they continue to build momentum and uh, continue to take themselves further and further away from uh, the relegation spot. Yeah, and on Saturday, yes, of course, Manchester City blew 6-1 past Burnout. Burnout, the one of those teams that suffer against really really good teams uh, last season they considered nine against liverpool or you know that made them eventually went on to uh, sack their manager this season they've already suffered a couple of really heavy defeats and uh, they continue to suffer uh, manchester city uh, won the game by six goals to one uh it was a terrific game especially for one man duko jeremy duko really established himself into that game I mean, you know, especially for a manager like Pep Guardiola, who constantly prides himself with uh, rotation. Uh, coming into that game, you really do not know what to expect, starting from even the first team lineup. And, you know, when I saw 
uh, Doku in the starting lineup against uh, Bonnemouth. You know, I felt like he was going to have a good game. Because, of course, like I said, Bonnemouth have struggled in recent seasons, uh, especially away to really big and uh, good sides. And yes, uh, Doku got the first goal in the 30th minute and went on to have four other assists in that game. So yes, Doku ended that game with one goal and four assists. And for those who were lucky and fortunate to have him in their fantasy teams, I, I, I can't imagine that how excited they would be. Uh, I imagine that they would be doing backflips under their chair. Uh, you know, and it just goes on to show the quality uh, the Manchester City uh, currently operating. And uh, guys, that win took them back to the stand of the log and, you know, pending when other teams would play. And of course, because every other team has played, Manchester City sits top of the Premier League standing. You see the way I talk, I'm small, small, because... That is the exact same scenario that every Manchester United fan did not want, or every Premier League fan did not want to happen. Manchester City don't sit down again for top. We know they know the elephant, too. they know the break tree branch, they know the fall down. And it's really crazy that we have allowed them to sit back on that top. Oh, only 11 games into the season. But whatever happens, of course, uh, we'll be here to uh, follow up on all the stories and uh, keep you posted. Uh, but also big stories in that game. We say uh, Erling Haaland uh, was substituted at halftime for uh, an injury scare. And, you know, um, in the post-match press, uh, the coach came out to say that he had a twisted ankle. Um, and, you know, he could not really continue. And so he was taken out for precautionary measures. But, of course, we uh, also got information that he was involved in the training as at yesterday. So we can expect that that injury is not too fatal. Whatever happens there also, we'll be keeping tabs and then we'll be letting you guys know as the as season progresses. Sheffield United eventually got their first win into the Premier League season and it was a really, really big win in a really intriguing fashion against Wolverhampton Wanderers. A 2-1 win there to Sheffield United. Uh, and... Uh, like I said, it was a really, really crazy game. You know, uh, coming into that game, especially considering uh, how good, you know, uh, Wolves have been recently. They've managed to take a point from really, really good and big sides. And they have constantly uh, found a way to get results for themselves. Especially in the last three to four, five games. Uh, Huang Hichan has got uh, a goal or an assist in five consecutive games for them. And for a moment, I felt like they were going to continue that, you know, um, that winning streak against a Sheffield side that have struggled greatly in the Premier League this season. But of course, it just goes to show the beauty of the Premier League where nothing is assured until the final minute. You know, for a moment, it felt like it was going to be a draw because uh, Acha had gotten a goal for Sheffield uh, around the 70th minute. He got a goal. And then later on, Belagade, who was just returning from injury, got the equalizer for Wolverhampton Wanderers. And for a moment, like I said, it felt like it was going to end a stalemate until uh, Wolverhampton considered a penalty just at the death of the game. And yeah, of course, uh, Sheffield captain in the person of Norwood went on to score a mind-blowing penalty. Guys, if you saw that penalty, I was just shouting from where I was sitting. Like, he wanted a scenario where even if goalkeeper touched the ball, make it still pierce in gloves, enter inside net. It was really, really a very wild shot. And yes, they went on to win that game by uh, 
two goals to one really really big win uh even though at the moment they still sits last on the log and still continue to struggle generally it was important to see them win and then we'll see how they can you know build momentum from that win and bounce back in subsequent weeks and uh, for the last game for saturday arsenal away to uh newcastle in st james park Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of, to- of talking points in that game. Of course, Newcastle uh, in recent season, you know, have pride themselves with uh, playing really good football. They've managed to involve themselves in every single co- in, in every single conversation. They are in the FA Cup and they are doing well in the Carabao Cup as well as in the Champions League, where I think that they sit uh, joint top, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, in the Champions League and. They just continue to be a really fascinating side under Eddie Howe. And the game, like I said, against Arsenal had lots, lots and lots of controversial moments and talking points. From Harvard's, uh, you know, yellow card early into the game, whom um, a lot of fans felt like he should have been sent off, to uh, the goal eventually that had lots and lots and lots of talking points. Uh, yes, uh, Gordon eventually got a goal in a very tight game. Uh, and the goal, like I said, came with a lot of controversy first off you know Arsenal fans will feel like the ball uh, was uh, out yes of the line and uh, also they would feel like uh, Gordon was offside when the ball um, fell to him in the box lastly they would also feel like Joe Linton uh, was pushing uh, Gabriel but you know before I give you before I give you guys my uh, opinion on these uh, topics and of these subjects, I want you guys to know first and foremost that every opinion that we give on the show is a fan opinion, okay? Uh, and uh, we're speaking from the point of a fan and also, you know, because as a lover of the game. And first and foremost, for uh, the situation with the ball going out of the line, and this is not banter talk, this is real talk right now. I feel like, of course, we already know what the rules are in uh, in a lot of these scenarios. Apart from the subjective offside in my own case, that I'm still yet to understand what it means. We already know that uh, in a scenario where VAR cannot give sub- substantial evidence that the ball was out of the line, they have to allow it. You can, we can argue that the Premier League, of course, should uh, be having camera angles that cover all of that part of the field. Yes, that is an argument that we can have because, of course, La Liga does it. La Liga have tactical cameras that cover pretty much every aspect of the field. And that is an argument for another day. But the fact today remains that it was not clear and obvious. And so, of course, they cannot disallow it. Personally, as a Manchester United fan who have had at least five goals cancelled against me this season and at least seven VAR decisions gone against me this season, I know how they would be feeling. But at this point, I can only say, sorry, take handkerchief, clean your tears. It is what it is. And you guys have lost that one. And, you know, in the post-match interview, Ateta came out and spoke angrily he spoke for the speech in itself me i was happy about it because i am tired of premier league coaches especially come uh, you know to become they, they just won't come the professional uh, a lot of them don't like to you know really say it as it is you know because of course there is uh, the risk of ban and fines it was really refreshing to finally see you know somebody come and speak his mind or her mind 
and uh, for the speech in itself, I applaud Ateta, you know, to come uh, and uh, uh, speak uh, on behalf of his team. Because, and the points that he raised are very valid. Of course, this is the Premier League. And it's usually, it's usually down to very tight margins. You don't want to see uh, a team who is supposed to be fighting for the league, you know, losing points by uh, this kind of uh, situation. And I can understand why they felt really bad. But... There were situations that I do not completely agree with. One of those situations is the fact that, uh, you know, Arsenal players, especially the Arsenal captain for that match in the person of Jorginho, uh, refused to shake hands with a Newcastle captain after the game. And I don't know what is going to happen the next couple of weeks or days because usually uh, for scenarios like that, I think that the FA usually uh, gives some kind of uh, punishment uh, maybe they just want to take things easy, especially because Arsenal are still hot from the game. But um, whatever happens in that situation, of course, we'll be keeping tabs to uh, really know what happened. But like I said, you know, Ateta came out to speak angrily um, about the game. And he said a lot of things that I do not agree with entirely. Uh, first and foremost, like I've already explained, uh, we already know that when there are situations where the fouls are not clear, and obvious VAR usually sticks with on-field decisions and I understand Arsenal's frustration because they've been one of the teams that you know VAR have apologized or P and PG Mo have apologized to a lot of times in recent seasons and I'm sure they are coming out to say enough is enough how many more apologies uh, are you guys going to be giving us we need points for goodness sake but then again while they get angry and speak about these issues, have they thought about the fact that they are actually quarreling for a match where they don't score any goal? So, like, you know, I was having a chat with my friend and he was telling me, he said, they should keep quiet and stop embarrassing themselves because now you they cry, say the goal against you should not have stood. Fine, even if the goal against you no stand, Arsenal telling us that they would like to come that match, come play 0-0. You didn't score any goddamn goal. You didn't get anything for yourself. And you are here crying. So even if they don't allow the goal, you want now one now zero zero results where you want the happy, want the pride. Yes, I know Newcastle are, are a really resilient team. And going to St. James Park to beat them or to take points against them is a good thing because like I, they are really, really they are highly motivated. They play with such a fight. You know, and all that, and all that, and all that. But still, the fact remains that Arsenal did not have a goal disallowed in that game. Arsenal did not have a, a, a penalty shout in that game. Apart from a couple of, just a handful of chances, they never really settled into that game. So I don't know what exactly did he cry about. I mean, we saw a scenario where Liverpool had a goal disallowed. A clear and obvious goal that was disallowed that eventually made them lose a very crucial game against Tottenham Hotspur the other day. No doubt they cried their own cry. But I don't think they put out the kind of statement where Arsenal don't put Arsenal have put out statements and done this. And they really need to be careful because we already know that, of course, the Premier League refereeing already define who they go victimize. I am a testimony to their victimization. Manchester United, we don't collect this season. And if you think I'm coming from the place of the fan, I implore you to go and check the stats. Manchester United have had seven results, seven impactful decisions changed by VAR. Only, and we are only into the 11th game of the weekend or of the season. 
And then it just did funny because when you speak about these issues, you could just say na fan talk. And I tell you guys, whether you believe me or not, there is an agenda against Manchester United. All of those era, all of those times where we dominate the league and where we were winning games by, you know, stroke of uh, at the death of the halftime, Fergie time, it'd be like, say, all of all those situations now don't cause one kind of pent-up anger. And now, we they pay for our sins. And our sins, now success where we achieved over the last couple of years. And to be honest, I feel like Manchester United have really, 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 really struggled with having uh, decisions in their favour. Which is why I feel like the same way that everybody don't tell us week in, week out, to smile and move on. It's the same way that I'm coming here to tell Manchester, I'm coming here to tell Arsenal fans to smile and move on. Life goes on. There's still a lot of games. There's still a lot to fight for. And there's still a lot, you know, to be hopeful for. So, uh, it is what it is. Uh, Newcastle got the win there. uh, And, uh, of course, Arsenal uh, have been a bit shaky per se in the last um you know two to three four games in all competitions uh they went on to lose uh, just the other uh, weekend at the uh, you know at the um efl cup where they were where they defeated by uh, where they were defeated by west ham by three goals to one and uh, you know they've just continued to struggle and uh, I hope that in the next couple of games that they can, you know, get back the momentum and start to win game with emphatic victories like uh, we would expect, especially because uh, we want them. I want them to win the league this season. And uh, that wraps up uh, the uh, Premier League results and all the uh, talking points from a Saturday. And, uh, you know, bulk of the games, a bulk of the games were played on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, I was having this chat with another friend. And really funny guy. And he was saying, ah, Champions League day on Tuesday now. Why Chelsea and uh, Tottenham, they play on Monday? And he, when he said that, you know, we just busted out in laughter. And we're just laughing because, of course, the only reason why Tottenham and Chelsea are playing on a Monday, where there's a Champions League the next day, is because they are not in the conversation in Europe. Yes, Chelsea and uh, Tottenham Hotspur are not in the Champions League, nor in uh, the Europa League. And of course, I imagine that they'll be fighting to make that right this season. But yeah, moving on to uh, Sunday. We had two games that produced two astonishing results. I'm sure nobody saw this one coming. Uh, Nottingham Forest went on to win Aston Villa by two goals to nil. But you know, besides the win... uh, it was just really crazy because coming into that game, we know how uh, Aston Villa have played really well under Unai Emery uh, as a stance. Prior to that game, they were sitting top of the table for uh, 2023 points, uh, which means you know if you took out uh, last last season and uh, you were speak, if you were going to um, just you know put this year into retrospect into uh, just 2023 as a whole, uh, Aston Villa would have been sitting top of the Premier League table for 2023 prior to that game. And, you know, especially when you also consider how they blew past Brighton and have also blew past several other good Premier League teams as well. Uh, coming into Nottingham Forest, you'd expect them to at least live with something. Not taking anything away from uh, 
Cooper's team. Uh, he's managed to build a really good team. Uh, well, would I say build? I'll say he's managed to buy a really good team. Because, of course, I don't think any team in the history of football in the whole world this season have bought the kind of players that Nottingham Forest have bought in the last two seasons. Last season, we saw them buy 22 players. And this one, we've seen them buy 11 players into the team. And uh, really, not taking anything away from Lee Cooper's team, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're, I feel like they're a really resilient side. They've established themselves in the Premier League. It's already obvious that they are not returning to relegation anytime soon. And so when you play against them, especially at, um, at their stadium, you can almost expect anything. Especially because um, Tawawuni uh, has also returned from injury in that game. And yes, uh, Nottingham Forest went on to get a goal only five minutes into that game by, of course, our countryman, Ola Aina. Very fascinating goal there, I tell you. And of course, uh, it continued to be uh, a, a momentum shift for them. And uh, they went on to get another goal just at the start of halftime. And you know, a lot of time when games are like that, you know, when games play in that fashion, you expect that when teams go back into the dressing room, uh, you know, they get directives and they get uh, tactical reviews and they see all of these things. And you expect that when they come back into the second half, uh, that, you know, you can see a shift in uh, their performance. So it was really crazy because uh, they came into the second half and for a moment, it was Nottingham Forest that were rushing Aston Villa. Like they were really, really rushing them. And of course, they got a second goal by Mangala. But, you know, moving on from the goal, there were other talking points in that game. One is, you know, last episode, it was funny because uh, only in the last episode, we spoke about how uh, Martinez, who also uh, is currently the best goalkeeper in the world by a Ballon d'Or standard, uh, he has, I don't know if it is height that's a problem for him. Because just the other week, we were speaking about how, you know, uh, a, a ball that was shot to the, um, onto the bar ricocheted off his head and went on into the, into the, um, you know, into the goal and it was an own goal. And we we're speaking about how we felt like, you know, his height is a problem for him, which is sad and funny at the same time. Because uh, usually height is um, um, usually an uh, advantage for uh, goalkeepers. And it was the exact same scenario in this case again. Mangala had a terrific shot, you know, at goal. And uh, Martinez pumped the ball. I don't know what he was thinking, to be honest. I don't know if he was trying to do some kind of scenario. Because, of course, Martinez is that kind of player. You know, that likes to um, trash talk and does all those gimmicks and, you know, gets into players' head and all. And so he pumped the ball, but he didn't do it well. And then he pumped the ball and he was looking and expecting the ball to go over the net. And then he went back into his net and it was two goals down and from that point on especially because of how Nottingham Forest were playing I I didn't really see a scenario where uh, they were going to bounce back in the worst case scenario I felt like they were going to draw the game but of course they went on to hold their own won that game by two goals to new kept the clean sheet and have continued to do well in the new season as well as the last they currently sit uh, 13 on the table with 13 premier league points and they are way 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 off the relegation spot and uh 
it just continued to be, you know, a really interesting side. We'll see how they would cope in January, uh, you know, when a lot of their first team players would go and play in AFCON. Uh, of course, every other team would have one or two players absent as well. But Nottingham Forest would have the most players from uh, their first team um, lineup who would be unavailable and uh, be playing at the AFCON. And of course, uh, later on for the last game for that day, Luton Town against Liverpool. Wow. That game, eh? It's just really crazy because, uh, you know, of course, Luton have really struggled uh, in the Premier League, especially. Uh, they haven't had a win for as long as I can remember. In fact, I think they've had only one win this season, and that was the win the other weekend against Everton. And uh, after the win, we felt like they were going to bounce back, you know, and grab momentum uh, and then start to take points. But sadly... They went on to lose subsequent games to uh, Burnley. They lost the other game to uh, Tottenham, which of course is understandable. Even though, you know, uh, even though looking at that game um, from a tactical point of view, I felt like Luton would, would have been disappointed in themselves because uh, Tottenham went on, went on, went down by man uh, early, early, early in that game, and. Uh, you know, it was really crazy to see them still struggled and found a winner regardless against Luton Town. And, uh, you know, coming in, into subsequent games, you just feel like Luton have really struggled and there's almost no chance for them at Survivor. But this was, this was a really, really important point for them to have taken, you know, against a team like uh, Liverpool. And the thing with this kind of, you know, result, especially the manner with which it came, they held their own, they held their own down. Uh... All through the first half, they were amazing. They sat really well, set up really well. Didn't really, um, didn't really allow, um, you know, Liverpool uh, just throw past their defense. And uh, even though Liverpool missed a couple of really, 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 really big chances, there was one from Darwin Nunes. Uh, he missed a sitter in that game. And really, it just brings me to uh, something I was thinking about. I don't know why. I feel like there are several players who just don't like. You know, to just call easy and tap in. Because I don't understand how uh, Darwin Nunes constantly misses these kinds of sita. It's like he misses them every other game. But give him a screamer. Give him one ball in a very tight angle and you see how he's squeezing it in. And I just, I just, I just wonder why it always happens. And it was really, really funny because... Uh, the goal was at his mercy. Uh, Salah sent in a pass. Even though, to be honest, you know, I felt like a lot of Liverpool fans were... You know, angry and sad about uh, Nunes' miss. But when I was watching, you know, the um, highlights again, so I could do the preview for uh, the show this week, um, I noticed that as well as much as you, you know, Nunes deserves uh, all the backlash for the miss. I felt like Salah also has some blood on his hands uh, with that pass. It was not a good pass at all, uh, you know. And of course, uh. It continued to look like a game that anything was possible late on until uh, Chong got uh, a goal there for Luton Town in the 80th minute. Uh, if you don't know who Chong is, that is one of the youngings that Manchester United let out, uh, you know, this season. Uh, we sold him to uh, Luton Town and he's been an integral part of Luton team. He started pretty much every game into their season and uh, I imagine that that goal, would uh, continue that goal would give him some kind of you know confidence moving into the next couple of Premier League games, and yes, Tahit Chong got the goal for uh, Luton Town there against Liverpool late on in the second half, and from that moment on, 
you know, Liverpool were all over them. Of course, uh, exactly the way you would have expected. And uh, in the 90th plus five minutes, just almost at the death of the second half, uh, Luis Diaz went on to get an equalizer goal for uh, Liverpool. And it was quite emotional. Uh, of course, uh, if you're familiar with the stories emanating from, uh, you know, Colombia, uh, Luis Diaz's uh, father uh, is... You know, he's been taken, he's been kidnapped. And uh, in the last couple of uh, days, uh, pro, you know, a lot of groups, especially in, and in Colombia, have been coming out to put out statements. And, uh, you know, they've been uh, begging and appealing and, uh, you know, asking for intervention so that, uh, you know, his dad can be released from uh, that terrible position that he's in. And it was really important to see him, you know, regardless of all what that's going on, you know, he still has a very big mentality and a really, really brave heart, you know, to still come and say, yeah, I want to play. I want to, you know, I want to help the team. And, you know, coming into that game in the 83rd minute and still managing to find the equalizer, you know, I feel like it, it, it just goes to show the mentality uh, in the Liverpool team. And really... It was a really, 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 really big uh, and big, 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 big moment for uh, Luis Diaz, especially. Uh, whatever is happening in that case, we are hoping and we are praying uh, that he would be... <coughs> we're praying that his father would be released and uh, happiness can return to that home. We're sending you our loves, all of us at uh, Free Smoke. We're sending you love. We're sending you prayers. Luis Diaz, we hope that your father will return home safe and sound. And uh, that was, of course, the last game for Sunday football. And uh, we were left with just one game. And, you know, uh, just like last week, I and the producers wanted to do, um, we're thinking if we should just, you know, record the podcast for this week because, of course, uh, we needed to uh, put it out early because we had um, the Champions League and other games that we need to follow as well for this weekend. But, you know, while we were also deliberating, uh, we came to the conclusion that Tottenham are very, very much in the conversation and uh, we cannot afford uh, to do the show without um, the game. And so we had to let them play the game. as. And the game yesterday, wow. I feel like I need to take a deep breath before I speak about this game because this game, for me, I feel like it was the most interesting game that I have watched by the World Cup final. It was really intriguing. There were lots and lots and lots of talking points. VAR was busy throughout that game. They had one, two, three, four, five disallowed goals in that game. Five disallowed goals in the game against Tottenham versus Chelsea. And, you know, coming into that game, uh, for casuals especially, you know, and uh, rival fans, we were really expecting an intriguing game. And I, I believe we got what, what we were expecting. Uh, Tottenham, of course, prior to that game, were priding themselves with the only team not to have lost a Premier League game yet this season. And, uh, you know, they play really well and they've established a style of play under Ange Postecolo and uh, they continue to be in the conversation. And so coming into this game, anything was possible, especially because Chelsea as a team have also seemed, they, they, they seem like they found a playing pattern. They seem like they found a blueprint, you know, with which they want to continue their season. And uh, coming into that game, like I said, anything was absolutely possible. And the game started, you know, really fast. It's not like one of those games where you come in and, and you know, you, you, you have to settle into the game and it takes a while before you start to see the game, you know, moving. This one, from the kickoff, you could see how Tottenham wanted to play. You could see how they set up a really, really high line. And uh, they got a goal 
in the sixth minute from Kulusevski. From that moment on, it felt like they were going to thump Chelsea. And you know, later on, just about five minutes after the first goal, they got another well-worked goal that was converted by Huming Son that was also disallowed. It was really a well-worked goal. And you know, to be honest, there were several other disallowed goals. Uh, Sterling got one that was disallowed for handball. Casado got another one disallowed just a few min- minutes later for offside. And of course, uh, Nicholas Jackson got one disallowed. And uh, Eric Dyer also got one disallowed. And you know, all of those disallowed goals were checked and they were checked and they were found not to be goals. But generally, moving on... Th- from the disallowed goals and just speaking about the game as a whole guys it was a really intriguing game i tell you it was nothing short of talking point it was nothing short of you know moments and uh chelsea settled well and uh, you know they were starting to rebuff and repel some of all those tottenham attacks and until romero eventually got a red card and guys i want to speak about this shortly before we move on you see romero eh? romero is a very good defender we saw him, you know, he was integral to um, Argentina's World Cup victory. And, uh, you know, this season, he's been an integral part of uh, the coach's plan. He started every game that he's been available for. Overall, he's a good player. In fact, even for us fantasy players, I'm sure um, a lot of us were contemplating bringing him in, in after watching the last couple of games. But the issue I have with Romero is that he's too aggressive, unnecessarily. For a defender, especially for a centre-back, you need to have, you know, an iota of aggressiveness, which is understandable. But, you know, the situation that led to the red card and the penalty for this game, ball day up front as a defender, you clear the ball. In fact, usually when you see red cards for those kind of situations, it's always a case of, you know, um, the defender missing the ball and fouling the player. In this case, the brother cleared the ball. I don't understand why you will clear ball. And then you still follow through with that kind of tackle. And then you could see his body language, his facial reaction. There was just no way that he was escaping that one. It was full of aggression. Unnecessarily. And I tell you, as much as he's a fascinating player, I don't see a lot of coaches trusting him if he continues to play with this kind of attitude. And it'll be very sad to see a talented player like Christian Romero being dropped from teams because of the fact that he cannot keep composure in games. It's not the first time. He's done it over and over and over and he's gotten away with it a couple of times. And you know, in the game, that moment especially that led to that red card, there were a lot of, there were a lot of moments. First of, all, uh, first of all, it was the penalty decision that was, you know, they had to allow the game go on because, of course, uh, it wasn't clear and obvious. And then Chelsea went on to score a, by, um, a, by a Caicedo screamer from outside the box. That was also later disallowed. And so when VAR was checking that moment, you know, the first I had to check, first of all, they check if it was an offside and it wasn't an offside. Then they went on to check, uh, you know, the other um, Caicedo, if he was also offside. And then he was offside. And so it was disallowed. And just moments where Chelsea were celebrating and felt like, you know, it was disallowed goal. Val told them to stop and halt the restart of the game that they were checking for a penalty. The funny thing is that in the heat of that moment, a lot of us didn't even really saw what had happened. And it was only when Val were revisiting that result that I felt like, when I saw it in my mind, I was like, nah, it's definitely a penalty. You know, I saw, I saw the way he launched into that tackle. And I said, there's no way that he was going to escape 
at least a yellow card and a penalty. But it was sad that he went way beyond that. And uh, yeah, uh, Christian Romero was sent off in that game. And uh, Chelsea were given a penalty that was converted by Cole Palmer. And, you know, which brings us to that part of the conversation where we say that, of course, we feel like it's already an established fact right now that Cole Palmer is um, Chelsea's first choice penalty taker because, of course, Sterling was in the pitch as well as he has been in all the other games that Palmer had been asked to take the penalty kick. And he went on to score a goal, uh, that you know, a 1-1 goal. And from that point on, you know... Um, it was difficult to imagine how Chelsea, um, how Tottenham were going to manage. But guys, I tell you what, I feel like Tottenham will be going home with their held heads high. To be honest, the results do not do justice to um, the game. You know, because imagine you didn't watch that game and you just, you know, you, 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 um, you call your folk and you're like, guy, what's up? How did the game end? And he tells you that Chelsea won by four goals to one. I imagine that your first reaction would be that, wow. Chelsea completely outplayed Tottenham and blew them away. But guys, it was not the case. Uh, Tottenham held it down even after going one, um, even after going the man down. They played really well. Usually in those kind of situations where you get a red card like that early into the game, you see scenarios where um, coaches take out some sort of attacking players, you know, bringing more defense-minded players, set up in a way that they can afford to you know um, absorb all of the press that would come subsequently as a result of uh that red card but guys it was a completely different scenario in this case in fact tottenham kept pressing they kept playing with the high line and they kept also creating chances even uh with that um, red card uh up till the end of the first half chelsea really didn't really have um you know away and uh, to have gotten um, a goal in that game and they continue to struggle until later on in the second half you know just around the 55th minute uh, Udogi uh, went on to get another red card I mean it was a simulation and uh, an accumulation of um, the first yellow card he got in uh, the first half and it was just really emotional for him because you know when he went for the tackle and he missed it. You can see him just fall flat to the ground, you know, with his hands on his head and his eyes closed. And he already knew what was coming. And yeah, it did come. And he was sent off also. And like I said already, in from that moment on, you know, two red cards down into the 55th minute, it felt like there was practically no way possible for Chelsea, for Tottenham to have, you know, left that game with anything. From that point on, uh, Chelsea continued to press. But the surprising thing is that even with two men down, Ange Postacolo still played a high line. And to be honest, it felt like he was careless. And I think that he was careless. I think he was risky. I think he was unnecessary. But, you know, um, I don't know more than the coach. He wants, obviously, he wants to implement a playing style. You know, in the post-match interview, he spoke about how, and then, you know, the interviewers were asking him and saying, um, Ange, you were two men down uh, and you still play the high line. Uh, why did you do that? And he said that it is who they are. In quotes, he said, it is who we are. He said, even if we go five men down, we would still play a high line. And really, yeah. It's just really crazy, especially for me as a Manchester United fan, because over the last couple of weeks, months, years, we have constantly 
told ourselves how and why we need to give our own coach um, time to implement his playing style. And it's just crazy to see a coach who has come from Scotland already implementing a playing style only into his first 10 games of the Premier League season. And like I said already, Tottenham fans will be going back into the dressing room or Tottenham players rather will be going back into the dressing room with their head held high. I tell you. And it was just a really really it was a game to it, it, it was a game to forget for them. You know because other than the loss they lost several other first team players. They um as I speak with you three um as I speak with you uh three of their first four starting players are unavailable for the next couple of games romero of course um is unavailable with the red card uh van de ven who has been one of tottenham's most crucial players and he also uh was substituted in that game uh he pulled the hamstring you know that one is at least six weeks out and uh of course udogi who's also been uh, a revelation for tottenham this season uh is also going to be unavailable for the next couple of games uh because of the red card. Um, Madison, of course, who have been at the center of all of Tottenham big chances created, was also taken off in that game because of an injury. And really, like I said, it was just a game to forget for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, lots of, lots of, lots of very frustrating and disappointing, uh, you know, situations for them in that game. And it... it, it it just was not possible for them to get anything out of that game. And for a moment, it felt like they were going to hold their own. And they were trying to hold their own. But, uh, you know, uh, Chelsea kept creating chances after chances after chances. This game could have ended 6-7-8, to be honest, in the favor of Chelsea. And uh, really, but in the end, he ended by uh, 4-1. And, of course, uh, Nicholas Jackson. Nicholas Jackson went on to score a first ever hat-trick in his career and the first Premier League hat-trick for him as well. And of course, you trust fans now. You know, say for fans, nothing would ever supersede banter and agenda. And of course, Chelsea fans leave Jackson's hat-trick heroics where they're supposed to applaud. Leave him there. Come the town toss. Say, you don't get first hat-trick that before uh you don't get first primarily hat trick before of course our star boy Marcus Rashford and it was just really funny and uh, yeah Chelsea went on to win by four whooping goals to one and uh you know of course that that brought us to the end of all uh, the Premier League weekend, game week 11 weekend, where we had a lot, lots and lots of fascinating results. And that is why I said from the beginning of the show. There are Manchester United fans and as Mancunians anywhere where they go this week as you celebrate your win. If anybody tell you any rubbish, just unction our 500. Because of course, we were among the few, the selected few that managed to get all three wins uh, for the all three points for uh, this weekend. And you know, uh, moving on. Into the next couple of games that are in our horizon, uh, we can expect to have a, another intriguing week. Of course, this week uh, is match day four in the UEFA Champions League uh, timetable. Uh, of course, 
speaking especially for us, Manchester United, uh, it's really, 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 really important to see um, how we can uh, get all three points from uh, our next Champions League game against a really resilient Copenhagen team, especially because uh, unlike last time out, this time we are going to Denmark. To, uh, they're gonna we're, we're gonna be playing away at home to Copenhagen. And guys, trust me, it is a game that we really need to fight. You know, speaking about fighting, and uh, in the last episode we complained a lot about Manchester United not generally having a fighting spirit in games, and it was really impressive to see that you know uh, coming into the game against Fulham, we corrected that. It was disgraceful and embarrassing to see that the, the, the players had to allow um, a section of the fans to put out the banner. You know, there was a really big banner and, you know, they were saying, play like you mean it. And it just goes to emphasize on the, on, on the, um, the, on the subjects that we have been speaking on in um, earlier episodes where we have constantly complained about the lack of fight, about the lack of spirit. And uh, it was really good to see us really fight and... Uh, and I am calling on all Manchester United players and, you know, the backroom staff also to fight again in the game against Copenhagen. Of course, we cannot overemphasize how important a victory is. Uh, we would be hoping and be expecting that Bayern Munich can take all three points against Galatasaray. And if we are lucky and fortunate enough to take all three points against Copenhagen, we could be second you know, uh, understandings and that will put us in a position where we can then finally start to build momentum and see how we can qualify for the next round of the Champions League. Uh, lots of other interesting games to look out for in the Champions League uh, this weekend. Uh, Salzburg, who have struggled in the in the Champions League uh this season and it's just really crazy because in the last couple of seasons we've seen Salzburg you know really do well and I feel like you know it's because they have sold or they have sold um, a couple of their first team players who have been very integral for the development of the team in the last couple of years uh, and the person of Benjamin Sesco for instance and uh, the other guy that was sold to um, you know uh, Leipzig and uh, it just it just continues to be an issue for Salzburg, and yes, uh, they are playing against a really really good and informed Inter Milan side who have continued to uh, take points in their domestic league and in the Champions League as well. And so we'll be seeing what happened in that game. Of course, uh, Arsenal play host to Sevilla at the Emirates Stadium. Of course, uh, Arsenal went on to win uh, one goals to two uh, in the reverse feature few weeks ago and we'll see how they can build up on that win and you know and cement their sports as the top uh group leaders for uh that group and you know lots of other fascinating games in the champions league and we'll be keeping tabs with all of that and then we'll let you guys know at the end of the champions league game weekend uh, guys really football continues to be a very integral part of our our day-to-day -day life and we assure you guys we promise you guys that of course we'll always be keeping tapped with all of the games so we can bring you all of the gist as they are happening uh hot hot and uh you know <clears throat> that brings us to uh you know a wrap and a preview and the review of our football for this weekend and of course uh Guys, you know already by now, uh, of course, 
accept uh, your first time listener you already know by now that uh every week on the show we take out a moment uh to uh, give a shout out and to uh, congratulate the top performer for uh fantasy premier league group but for this week we all collectively sat and agreed that there was no fpl it was a terrible week as all of the usual performance all blanked salah blank Haaland blank son blank Madison blank Saka blank name them meet every single person that you know all of the all of the defenders you know and all of the players that usually uh, you would expect to have the captain bands for uh, teams all blank this weekend and it was a terrible week and so for that reason we all collectively decided that we're just going to assume that there was no uh, fantasy premier league for uh, this week and uh, guys as we conclude the show for this weekend, we encourage you to exercise regularly and hydrate as often as you can. Until you come your way again next weekend, I love you. Thanks for hanging with us. Bye-bye.